Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, this is Beyond the Baseline, Sports Illustrated tennis podcast, and it is brought to you by SeatGeek. Whether you're looking to buy tickets, sell tickets, or can't use tickets, check out SeatGeek, the smartest way to vend your tickets and see your favorite sports teams. Download the SeatGeek app, enter our code BEYOND, get 20 bucks off your first purchase. We're also sponsored by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football. Season-long fantasy is long over, but on FanDuel, you can still play for real cash all the way up to the Super Bowl. Enter my code BEYOND at FanDuel.com, play a risk-free tournament for up to 10 bucks. There's no doubt some players get injured from training not the correct way, whether it's bad form, overtraining, overuse, whatever it is. But it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, the sports science, it improves so much every decade. These players are pushing the limits. Some bodies can handle that better than others. But you look around and you see the player next to you, you know, doing 10x of what you're doing, and then you think you need to do that. everyone, John Worth. I'm here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Beyond the Baseline Tennis Podcast. We're going to get right to it. We're going to preview the 2016 Australian Open. Here it is, the second week of January. Jamie Lasanti, our producer, and we are already talking about a major. That has pluses. That has cons. It doesn't matter, though. It's the schedule. It's probably not ever going to change. So let's get right to it. Let's preview the Australian Open for this year with the 2000 Australian Open champ. 16 years ago, she won the title. We're going to preview this year's tournament with Lindsay Davenport. Let's bring her in now. LD, Lindsay Davenport. How are you? Hi, John. What's going on? Happy New Year to you, my friend. Exactly. We're doing this on a Tuesday. We have no draw for the Australian Open. We both have a couple days before we... uh, make the long flight what's what's the best thing you have on your ipad oh my i told you i'm so bad with all that stuff um i don't have anything good i i, I don't travel with anything i travel with my phone and that's it oh, man. so 
I'm like totally held hostage on planes to whatever they're uh, going to show. If and a book, and a Sudoku book. All right. Ambien? Uh, something like that, exactly. All right. So <laughs> it'll be like uh, it'll be like nothing. It'll be like taking the shuttle. Um, exactly. So it's been a while. It's nice to have you on quarterly. People ask for you by name. I, I, I love when you say that. I don't believe it, but it does make me feel good. So thank you. <laughs> I have the social media trail to prove it. Um, you and I are off to Australia. Let's Let's be good soldiers and say we're both going to be there for Tennis Channel, which will cover this um, copiously. We've got some early morning, morning. I huh? was going to say, we've got the, uh, I always say it's, it's weird. The, the, we're doing the morning show, which airs at like 6 p.m. East Coast time. But, yeah, but um, little do they know we get up at like 6 or 7 a.m. to do that show. Exactly, <laughs> which is like 3 in the afternoon. Um, so I was thinking, did, did you watch the Golden Globes? Did I watch? No. Oh, yeah, you didn't miss anything. Um <laughs> But they, you know how they like trot out, they, they don't do these awards in order. Like they trot out like Sylvester Stallone for some big award in the first half hour. I feel a okay. little like that's what's going on in tennis. How we're, you know, 10, 11 days into the year, second week of January, and already we start with a major. Um, yeah. A little, little quirky, I'll, I'll admit it. It's like having, a, you know, it's like having an NFL playoff game in August, but um, what, what do you, I mean, let's start there. What, what do you think of this? I mean, is, is it fun? Is it good well, to go start with a bang? Like what's, what's, what's your take on this? I'll start with, I understand why Tennis Australia and um, the Australians want it in January. It's their summer. Kids aren't in school. It's a great time for them. However, it makes absolutely zero sense from a player's perspective. There is essentially little to no offseason when you're getting ready for a major, especially the guys that have to be in shape to play three out of five sets in brutal conditions. Um, obviously, it would make more sense in March. Start the season in, I don't know, late January, early February. Let them work into it. Um, but it is what it is. I, I can't see that changing anytime soon. So, you know, you then go into it expecting the best from all the players. And sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes we get really high quality in Melbourne, but it is a stretch to expect the players to, to pick up right where they left off last summer when they're playing week in and week out. There's a lot of majors. Um, you know, sometimes I think the quality is affected in those first few rounds. I feel like it's kind of this double edged Like, on the one hand, you arrive fresh, right? I mean, you, if you. Well, you would think it. Don't, don't follow well, the WCA say. this year. <laughs> Let's go. You know what? Let's go right there. Let's uh, yeah. again. We we do these things uh, without a script and without an order. So let, let's go there. I mean, how many? So we've obviously had this rash of injuries on the women's side in particular. How much of that are bona fide injuries? Do you think? And how much of that is just we've got a huge event coming up. The winner of this thing gets you know three point eight five million dollars. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I'm close to one hundred percent as possible. How much of these injuries are bona fide, and how much of this is just precaution? Okay, so let's go. The top ten, I think I read every player but Venus, who lost in the first <laughs> round of Auckland. Which is there, is there an irony there, huh? She's yeah, like, exactly. Hey. Has withdrawn or defaulted, or I guess in Panetta's case, has retired. Now, I'll say someone like Redwanska, Kerber, and, you know, if you want to even throw Sloan in there, I know she's not in the top ten. I think those were all preventative. I've got great matches under my belt. Again, I'm guessing. I don't know. Right. <laughs> so don't, don't send me tweets. Uh, these people have legitimate injuries. But I think that they played a lot of matches. Their body was probably on the verge of breaking down, and they're like, I got what I want. I'm going into Melbourne because I want to do really well in Melbourne. 
the other ones, to me, are incredibly concerning because, as we talked about it on Tennis Channel last week, they're carryover injuries. Right. All these right. players' injuries. Halep has struggled with her Achilles last fall. Sharapova, the same thing with the left hand. Muguruza, the same thing with her foot. You know, they're, they're, they're leftover injuries. So these players did not get healthy in the offseason. Serena, obviously, the other example. So that is concerning. Those signify certainly more long-term injuries, more, more reasons to be concerned if those are your favorite players. What, uh, what are you thinking in terms of Serena? I don't know. You know, I read something, was it this morning, where Patrick said there was an injection she got in December that went wrong, and that's why her knee's hurting now. I think she's going to struggle with a chronic knee problem the rest of her career, however long that is. How can she manage it? Can they get it to feel um, somewhere in a good percentage during the majors? The days off should help, but I think that she's always, it seems like that, is going to be battling that uh, for the next few years. Now she's the best athlete we've ever seen play the game. I think she's going to have a battle in front of her to deal with it, but I, I'm pretty sure that she can overcome it certain at certain times of the year, but I'm sure at other times it's going to be overwhelming, the pain. What do you think going in? I mean, she's obviously the defending champion. We've seen her, even within the past 12 months, win majors when she's been far from 100%. I mean, is this – and I think we're, we're all a little bit hamstrung, right? Forgive yeah. the pun, but we're all a little <laughs> bit we're all a little bit stuck where you want to assess this and you want to have a sense of, you know, who's going to do well and who to tip. And it's so dependent, I think, on health that if this is an injury you play through, you know, Serena's probably your, your odds on favorite even against the field. And if this is as bad as we think, I don't know if you've seen the video of her, you know, not able to push off on her serve. I, I feel like depending on this injury, she can not, you know, she, she, she could not post or she could win this thing. Yeah, exactly. Have we ever had such a discrepancy in a player? Um, I think that there is no question all eyes will be on her from a player's perspective, the first match and those first few rounds. You just look at it and say, okay, she hasn't played since the Open. She's still not feeling good if Hotman Cup was any indication. She's going to be vulnerable in those first few rounds if she plays a, a high-quality or opponent or somebody that plays well that day. But, you know, we've seen Serena manage it. I mean, last year at the French Open was a great example. Didn't play well, still won a major. Right. So no one wants to bet against Serena, but I would think that um, – that the locker room probably has a little bit more hope than maybe they normally do because they haven't seen her play. They figure she is struggling with the knee. But again, one match out of the block, she can just she can put all those concerns to rest. <laughs> I think it's the training room, not the locker room, that, that has the optimism. Um, yeah. <laughs> what um, you know? Who's number two with the odds makers? And I always feel like we have to say, you know, odds makers is not some guy in a broom closet like some some you know, gambling, uh, some degenerative gambler in a closet. I mean, this is odds makers is basically this, you know, accumulation of all the, the money that's been wagered. Number two with the odds makers, Azarenka. Yeah, you know, I tend to agree with that. Uh, Colleen Brisbane last week, watching her play, you do have to take into account, I, I believe the highest ranked player she played was Kerber. Um, she destroyed her, though. Right. Um, man, she looked good. You know, if you're going to show up the first tournament of the year after the off season. That's what you strive to almost look look like. She's look, she looks noticeably fitter. She looks noticeably stronger. She looks noticeably quicker. Now, I didn't see all the top players play, but that wasn't necessarily the case with everyone we saw playing. 
And you get the sense that, okay, she meant business when she walked off the court in China and said, I'm not playing till I'm healthy, until I'm fit, until I can move and play the way I want to play. And she looked fresh. She looked, as I said, noticeably more explosive to get to the ball. She was hitting more balls off her front foot. Um, and then that's a player that has that attitude. Like, I can beat anybody any day. I want to win majors. Not all the players have that attitude. So she's got a lot going for her going into Melbourne. She's won there. She's comfortable there. She won a tournament. I, I think that she's probably feeling pretty good about her chances. Now we got to see where her draw is. I think she will be in the top 16. So hopefully that helps her avoid some of those top players the early rounds. And uh, if she gets hot, I, I I could see her. It wouldn't surprise me if she was holding the trophy based on Brisbane. For the third time. I mean, she's, yeah. you know, she's won this event twice before. So Exactly. Any, anyone else uh, Anyone else catching your eye here? I mean, Sloan, obviously, nice nice start to the year. Anyone else uh, you're, you're going down there interested to um, see? Sloan was super impressive. Um called their match when she beat Wozniacki. You know, what? it was her attitude that I thought looked really um, a little bit different, a little bit more focused, a little bit more sure of herself, and didn't get carried away with any of the wins. Um, almost had that attitude like, yeah, I came here to win the tournament. That's what I did. Okay, now I'm going Next. on to bigger and better things. So that was that was a nice change from her. I, gosh, I, when watching her play, she looked really disciplined. I hope that it continues for her because – a lot more good things will happen for her. Um, I was impressed with Kerber. She got to the finals of Brisbane. She was another one that, if it's possible, looked stronger <laughs> and fitter. She didn't didn't change or improve her serve, and I think that's always going to be a factor with her in the big matches until she's willing to um, make a change with a serve. I think that's going to hold her back. Um, Redwanska won again, picked up where she left off. I didn't see any of her points, though, in Shenzhen, so I, I can't say I know how she's playing. It's always nice to win a tournament, though, the first right. week of the year. After a nice fall, too, for yeah. Redwanska. Hey, I got a question I, for you. Uh, this is yeah. a little random. Speaking about Redwanska and Sloan, and Azarenka, too, for that matter, they have all switched agents, management agents, in the last year. Lagarde sort of had, had this disruption to the tennis division. A number of players, Kevin Anderson on the men's side, are now scrambling. Is, is that something as a player, does that have any bearing on how you go about your business? I mean, is this just someone's going to do my contracts and it's going to be a new person? Or is that, I mean, it would seem to me as a right, you know, someone who has agents in other ways, that can be a bit of a disruption. As a tennis player, does that matter? Um, you know, I think for every player, it's different. Um, some players have an incredibly close bond with their manager, and I could see that that would maybe then be a traumatic break. Um, others, I don't think so. I, I think that, um, I think the players, if they're unhappy, would feel a little bit better than if they righted their situation. Um, I switched once early on in my career, uh, wasn't stressful. And I felt better immediately when that was put behind me and could move forward. I, you know, I don't think so. I think when a player's making a lot of major changes at once, maybe, but I think, uh, eh, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't That's think fair. so. No, no, I did. It's, it's interesting. We don't think of me. We think about, you know, we've, we've seen marriages between parents dissolve and we've seen boyfriends and divorces, but it, this is something that we don't really talk about, but fair enough. After the mayhem and drama, after the thrown items, the missed field goals, 
the personal conduct penalties in the last few minutes of decisive games. The NFL wildcard games are over, but who knows what's going to happen this week in the divisional playoffs. It's the Chiefs, Pats, and Foxborough, the Packers, Cardinals, in the desert, Seahawks at Panthers, and a mile-high game between Peyton Manning and those lucky Pittsburgh Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger, who, of course, plans to play with that separated shoulder. These games are too good to watch on TV if you're in those markets. It's never too late to get your ticket on SeatGeek. Get up to 20 bucks back. Download the app. Use the code BEYOND. They will refund those 20 bucks via check or PayPal. Your choice, SeatGeek, pulls in the best buying and selling options from all sites. They put it in one place. That saves you time. They know the fair market value of every ticket. So you will get the best deal. Find the underpriced seats. If you have tickets you can't use, SeatGeek will help you get them to another fan. Lowest fees. Again, it's all so easy. Download the app. Enter the code BEYOND. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. $20 is not insignificant for the playoffs, the NBA, concerts, and of course the NFL playoffs. Use the SeatGeek app. Enter our code BEYOND. Get $20 back. We haven't mentioned one player. I think it was owed largely to her uh, expert coaching. There was an American who reached the semis last year. Um, <laughs> what do you What do you think? Uh, what, what do we expect from Madison Keys? Gosh, I hope. I hope first of all, first and foremost, health. <laughs> she needs right. a bit of uh, health to go her way. I mean, last year one of the frustrating things was and through nobody's fault, but, you know, she pulled out of nine tournaments or had to retire from with injuries. At 19 or 20, that's obviously not a good sign. And already she starts the year having to pull out of the first two tournaments. Um, You know, it all starts with being healthy so you can work hard, so you can gain that confidence, so you can practice as long as you need to, practice the things you need to, to practice. And, you know, that hasn't been there for a solid chunk of time for her, um, as far as I know, from when, you know, we stopped at the Open. So hopefully that goes together. I don't know. Her having, you know, she fell in December, um, hurt her elbow, hasn't played a tournament going into the Australian Open where she did so well last year, probably feels a lot of pressure to defend the points. I hope she can kind of relax and just play her best. But, you know, I think it's going to take a few months to get healthy before maybe that happens, but hopefully not. Very impressive there last year, though. Where where uh, where are you with these injuries? I mean, is this, you you watch other sports, right? And I don't, I don't know if you even you saw some of these crazy NFL wild card games, or you know, the Golden State Warriors are going great, and then Steph Curry takes a few games off. I mean, how much of this is injuries are part of sports? It's physical activity, and no one's healthy. And how much of this is? It's crazy to me that the second week of January injuries are this prominent a storyline. I mean, is this? I know just, it is what it well, is. I think, or? It's, I think it's both. I think one, the training has gotten more radical, and players are pushing the limits in all sports more and more in their off train, in their off court training, in their preseason training, um, trying to get those edges. Some bodies break down. I read an article the other day about kids that specialize sports at such a young age, how that catches up to them and their body starts to break down. I don't know if that's the case. Um, it, you know, it's, injuries are always going to be a part of it. Incredibly concerning for me, if I, if I was running women's tennis, what's going on right now with the players. Um, you have to – and, you know, some of it is just maybe 
possibly misguided in the off season. The number one goal in the off season is to get healthy. Number one. Right. You want to start right. the year healthy. Now it's almost hard to take a big chunk of time and get healthy. And then it's obviously to train and, and get improve on your weaknesses. But it is concerning to see all those players coming into the season with injuries. But I, I think I think it's gonna be around. I think that the more players push themselves in all aspects, trying to jump higher, run faster, you know, run stadiums quicker, whatever it is, um, the training method, I think that sometimes the bodies aren't equipped to that. Let me throw two things at you. So at the, at the yep. Australian Open, uh, you, you know this. You, there's there's a way to walk under the stadium, and you go from where we are in the TV compound to the locker room and the players' lounge, and you go through this, this sort of car park. And I always see players there, and some of them are just stretching out. But others are going through really pretty vigorous. I don't know if you've ever – you know what I'm talking about? The warm-ups, you mean? Yeah, that warm-up area. Yeah. And it's yeah, sort yeah, of, you yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think, I mean, it's, it's, it's right there. It's, yes, it's I know what you're talking so about. <laughs> do you, did you, have you noticed how absolute strenuously, how vigorously some of, I say, you've got a match in 20 minutes. What are you doing, like, skipping rope at this pace? I mean, I, I've noticed these. <laughs> this is not just, hey, we're stretching out before we go out on court. I mean, I, I've seen p- players going through very vigorous workouts yeah. before there's and after no, matches. Yeah, there's no doubt some players get injured from training not the correct way, whether it's bad form, overtraining, overuse, whatever it is. But it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, the sports science, it improves so much every decade. These players are pushing the limits. I remember reading an article on, I think it's Thomas Burdick and how he trains. It was like, I, I mean, that's daily. Are you joking? That's yeah, not exactly. A, that's exactly. not a cumulative thing for the whole week. That's right. one day. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's right. insane. But, um, you know, and some bodies can handle that better than others. But you look around and you see the player next to you, you know, doing 10x of what you're doing, and then you think you need to do that. And um, I don't it is it is wild down there. And those are pre-match and sometimes post-match, like a three-hour match. And I'm like, wow, you're doing bike sprints. That's pretty good. <laughs> The, uh, yeah, exactly. But sometimes these are, I mean, I, you know, we're not going to name names, but these are, these are players who walk off the court and suddenly they're, they're working harder than they did when they were out playing best of three matches. So, so the other one, I, when Luxalon comes out, when this polyester yeah. string comes out, this is, this is apocryphal, but we'll, we'll say it anyway. Andre Agassi allegedly says, oh, my God, I've played with the most amazing product. This is going to radicalize tennis. This is going to change things more than any racket technology. My arm's going to fall off and it's almost like cheating and players if this stays legal their arms are going to fall off but it's going to do amazing things to a tennis ball so that was what you know 10 15 years ago yeah um that product is still available do, do you think technology and string technology in particular um that that andre agassi predicted would make the game uh, more exciting but players arms would fall off uh do, do you think that's something we should be looking at uh i yeah i don't discount that yeah i think that that's that's probably very accurate. I do believe those strings make average players better. I think the great players are great, and they'll always separate themselves, but I think there's been some players that have had good results, and a lot of that is due to what the strings allow them, their ball to do and to stay in. Um, but it is very tough on your arm, whether it be your shoulder, your forearm, your wrist. And if you don't string it correctly or you play one day with a racket that maybe is a little heavy and the strings are too tight, I mean, your arm is taking a pounding on. Uh, just all that repetitive strokes and shots and contact. And, um, yeah, I'll buy that. I'll buy that some, some injuries are from that. 
How did your fantasy team do this year? It almost seems like an obsolete question. Season-long leads are done. They're done for another year. Also, who plays in leagues, Jamie Lasanti? Everyone plays daily fantasy now. You don't have to wait another year to get in on the action. At FanDuel, play for cash all the way up to the Super Bowl. And when you play FanDuel.com, use our code BEYOND. Your first tournament is risk-free. What does that mean? It means enter a tournament if you win the money Great. Keep it. If you lose it, they will refund your account $10. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. FanDuel is the best place to play one-week fantasy football. Building a team, it's easy. It's fun. Stay under the cap. Entry fees start as low as just a buck, so there's a league for everyone. Again, think you know fantasy football, Jamie Lasanti. You can prove it at FanDuel.com. To get started, go to the website, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Click under the microphone, upper right-hand corner, use the code BEYOND, sign up. Again, you've got 10 bucks to put into play. Win it, it's yours. Lose it, it goes back into your account. FanDuel.com, try it out today. This week, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar talks to our friend Dave Zirin on the Edge of Sports podcast from Panoply with his legendary NBA career as a backdrop. Kareem has emerged in recent years as this cultural voice. He writes for Time, time Time.com, Esquire, among others, takes on Donald Trump. For the first full hour, Kareem will go deep with his experience. He's at the intersection of sports and social justice. He has stories about Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell, others, and Dave Zirin. I can't think of anyone better to interview him. That's going on on the Edge of Sports podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, edgeofsportspodcast.com. Listen to it today. All right, enough injuries. Let's let's talk about the guys. Yeah. Um, not they, they do seem to be collectively yeah, who is, healthier. Who's, who's the favorite on the men's side? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. there, there's one guy. It, you know, honestly, it's it's a it's become a bit like the Serena conversation, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, you well, you, you but take he's Joker so healthy. Well, would you, you, you know, take him against the field, though? I would. Of course I would. In Australia, in how he's been playing, how he approaches everything, there's no slide off. Listen, I, I mean, I find it uh, hard-pressed to think that this year could be any better than last year for him. Right. Obviously, if he adds the French, but all these finals in a row, what is it, 16 finals? or That's no, a joke. Right. Yeah. Um, he's got to have a dip only because – mentally it's just so hard to maintain that every time you step on the court. But then you sit, sit back and think, okay, so who's going to beat him in three out of five sets? Right, right. Well, he wears Federer down. Murray, they play such similar styles, and Novak does everything just a little bit better. It's, I don't know. I mean, I guess he could have that fluke loss, but it's, he seems to steady himself three out of five sets. Um, I would, I mean, for sure in Australia, you take him over the field, or I would. Agree. And also, I mean, Serena always has a strange issue where she'll crush Sharapova and Azarenka and the, the other players in the top five. And if someone's going to beat her, I mean, that, that yeah. Vinci was a big upset. But if you look at Serena's record at slams, I mean, there was a you know, loss to Lasicki. And I mean, there have been some Muguruza at the French when she wasn't nearly the player she is now. She, she has been vulnerable, Serena has, to these players outside the top ten. I mean, Djokovic, you know, he he ain't losing to Andre Seppi. I mean, if, if no, Roger no. gets hot or, or Stan has a crazy day like he did in, in Paris, yeah. that's one thing. But you got to figure this guy's good until the round. I mean, he's, he, he's not losing to anyone that he shouldn't lose to, basically. No, it's interesting with Serena. If you had told me, okay, she's going to lose to Roberta Vinci at the U.S. Open, I'd say, okay, I buy that, but uh, I'm going to guess uh, second or third round. 
it, it, it <laughs> yeah, did right, surprise right, me that right. it was all the way through to the semis and she had had five wins under her belt when that happened. That was what was so weird about that match. Obviously, it was the pressure of the Grand Slam, but um, that that did surprise me, and that's why the draw is a big deal to Serena, more so those early rounds. And if she plays a player that can be physical, can get balls back into play, can disrupt her, who knows? Nobody knows what, what level physically she's coming in at. But right. I totally agree with, with Novak. I, I don't know who outside the top 32 in those first couple of rounds could possibly challenge him. I mean, ironically enough, uh, you know, Rogers played him as well as anyone in the last, in the last two yep. years. What, what did you make of that coaching change? Federer? Um, interesting. It didn't surprise me that after a couple of years, it's it's a lot, <laughs> you right. know, and especially right. the stresses of a player like that, that Edberg was like, this has been great and really fun and a great working environment, but I'm probably good now. Um, I was surprised that he went with Lubacic, though. I didn't see that one coming at all. Um, but you you didn't you didn't see that coming. Just a guy who's no. kind of a peer. It's someone who understands the. He's coached a recent top ten player and laid back guy. I mean, I, I I think I think most people are like what, and then you kind of think about it. You're like, eh, I don't know who. I guess who always is going to go with someone he's comfortable with, right? right I can't right. imagine at now he's going to pick someone he barely knows to travel the world exactly. and help him with the game. Um, I guess maybe I didn't know that they were friends or I hadn't really thought about it, but um, you know. It, Roger is Roger. It's an amazing job, but you know, leaving Raonic is kind of a big statement based on the years left and on tour for both, probably. Right. I mean, you know, he's a full, full decade younger Raonic yeah. is than, than Federer. What um, if we have this conversation a year from now, which we will? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is is Roger Federer someone we're talking about? You think he he had the sort of vague, but I would I would say encouraging statement about uh, he's he knows what he's going to play in 2016 and beyond. Yeah, um, I think so. What, what are you I thinking think here? So. I mean, obviously you have to go with injuries and players and when his ranking dropped because of his back. So hopefully if he stays healthy, absolutely he finishes the year in the top four. Right. He might go down a little bit. I, I would imagine his playing schedule, I saw the schedule, I'm sure he'll add a clay court tournament, but I'm sure he kind of will drop some tournaments and not quite play as much. Um, based on his age and whatever. So maybe his ranking doesn't stay up because of that, but I think his quality and his results will still be up there. Roger Hingis, Serena Isner. Is it? Who wins yeah, okay, the... So uh, is that going to be the most exciting event in Rio? What do you think? I, I, honestly, I think... Olymp- I mean, you, you're, uh, you were early to the party here, and, and you even if I'm allowed to say this, you, you even have the, uh, the body art to prove it. I think this Olympic tennis is great. I mean, I think uh, the players are gearing their schedule toward it. Everybody wants to play. We're all speculating about, you know, here, here it is uh, in January. We're already talking about the August mixed doubles possibilities. How awesome is that? That's great, I read, right? like, Nadal I was talking about playing with Muguruza. Yeah, exactly, you've got exactly. Better and Hingis. And then you always have, like, in, in in Serbia, okay, so does Novak play mix? Does he play with Anna? Does he play with Elena? <laughs> it's pretty fun. I mean, oh, there's enough of me um, to go around. That um, will be a, right. a pretty amazing event. And I think the players look at it like, okay, we're going to overplay for nine days between singles, doubles, and mix. On but if courts. I am just be able to squeak out one medal, at least, or you're a top player, it will be worth it. And that's so great. I mean, it's amazing. I should know this, and I don't. You played conventional doubles with someone? I played, I played doubles with Liesl Hoover, um, I think just one. But let, let's also say it. Let's not be—you you are a— Olympic gold medalist in Atlanta. 
And that you. was before it was cool, though. I mean, now there's a whole these people. I mean, I would think that Novak, from what I've heard, that was a huge disappointment. He left London without a medal. I was going to say, you, no, no medal. I mean, he Del Potro beat got, him for uh, for the yeah. bronze. And so what does he not have in his trophy cabinet? He doesn't have the French, and he doesn't have not only a gold medal, he doesn't have any medal. So I think, obviously, Novak has to set some pretty high goals. I would think that those two events are at the top, especially considering how patriotic he is. He badly wants to win a medal, especially gold for his country, and obviously in singles, but I could see him taking a, a chance in either doubles or mixed. i got to say, I always liked... Um... I always liked Olympic tennis, no issue with it. it. It mucks up the schedule once every four years in the summer. That's a small price to pay. But when I saw those tennis players in the opening ceremony in London, Maria and Radwanska, and, you know, there were, there were probably half a dozen players who carried the flag in the opening ceremony. Oh, yeah, ceremony. wasn't it? Takao for Romania. Yeah, Takao for Romania. I think Caroline might, might have done it for Denmark, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I have no idea. Novak did it, right? Yes, yeah, Novak did. Nadal was supposed to and then didn't didn't pose. And then Roger has done it before. I don't know if he did it. I get confused. But they, these guys have done everything. You know, millions of dollars, and they've, they've won majors, a lot of them. And this was clearly a, a career highlight. Just marching in the ceremony with a flag. Never mind yeah. flag. I, I'm, I'm all for Olympic tennis. That's um, pretty cool. So who? let's go back to the men's side real quick. Anyone uh, breaking into this gated community that is the uh, big four, big five? I mean, you, you see anyone um, beside the obvious um, candidates doing much? I don't know about this year. I, everyone had all these high hopes last year that Nishikori and Raonic and Dimitrov and right. those guys would be able to take it one step further. And all of them went backwards, some a half a step, Raonic maybe one step because of injuries. Obviously, Dimitrov went back a few steps. Right. Um, so I think they'll probably steady the ship this year, those three huge talents, and they'll all improve. I just don't know about the top four. You go to the wild card, it's curious, but... Uh, you know, here he is. It's funny. I was looking at his schedule, and he's in Australia. He's playing great. Obviously, he wins the Hotman Cup, but he's not playing anything that helps his ranking. I, I guess maybe <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. not a concern. He's not playing any yeah. tournaments, right? It's all exos. Ranking's just a suggestion. You gotta 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 pad the uh, the cash reserves. But uh, okay. no, I, I, I noticed like, that as well. I mean, the guy's basically starting the year at the Australian Open. Yeah. Right? So it's interesting to me. I mean, he, he obviously as soon as he puts his head down and you know uh, he obviously needs the flair to play well but as soon as he starts um approaching it differently i mean look at the changes that agassi made you know he's obviously the comparison everyone goes to right different player when he hit his late 20s early 30s whether that was steffi's influence or he got there on his own however it was you know he was just workmanlike out there you feel like curious is still a couple of years away from that happening and so he might have these great results, but I think you think he's the one, but I think it's going to be probably another year or two. Um, all right, the, uh, the the fantasy football podcast is banging on the door. I got I got three speed round questions for you. <laughs> so here here's what I've always wondered about. We we always truck in sports analogies, right? I mean, Brad Gilbert is is the king of this, but we all do it, and he's a tough out, and he's a 300 hitter, and and just win, baby. How much do tennis players? actually intuit anything from other sports in terms of on during like competition yeah i mean is it even relevant to, to players if, if you and some of us just sort of being a fan or not being a fan but how, how much is tennis its own thing and how, how much are players really carrying over from having watched that tennis, nba game or well i could be completely wrong and i'm mostly <laughs> normally am, but i would think that 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 it doesn't carry over for a tennis player because 
they watch all these other sports and um you know some some people are like man it'd be great if i had a couple teammates out there or they don't know what it's like i have to deal with everything on my own out here um i think you get inspired you get encouraged you are you know you get goosebumps watching other sports but then you're you're brought back down to earth when it's just you sitting out there in front of 20,000 people when you're not playing well trying to figure out a way to just make the match right. last longer. <laughs> That's um, all right, here's a question I just got last night. Would okay. most, would most uh, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm paraphrasing, but basically it says, would, would most tennis players rather compete against someone they did not personally like, or is the emotion a distraction? Would, would you rather have a stranger on the other side or someone you have strong personal feelings about? Totally up to the person and the personality. I didn't like either. I like playing someone I was totally neutral against. Um, you know, if you wanted to win too bad and you start forcing things, but I have known people that are so fired up to play someone that they're not big fans of. Um, it was always hard for me to play someone I was close to. Um, but you know, I take so much, that's why my respect level for Serena is off the charts, how she manages herself against Venus. And then you could also maybe say Wozniacki the last few years tries her heart out, isn't afraid to give the fist, and then they shake hands. Right. That's right. more relevant of like a men's tour where I'm going to do everything I can to win. As soon as the last ball's over, let's go get a beer. We're going to have dinner together, yeah. Yeah, and that's not necessarily the case on the women's tour when the women can get a little, you know, cattier. I can't believe you didn't give me that call or why'd you give a fist pump? Um, that's why I love <laughs> to see, um, I'm serious, Serena, no, when you're she right. is playing those people, you know she likes them, you know they'll be out later. And she doesn't care. She still wants to win. Shouldn't affect your relationship. Play the ball. Um, all right. Yep. As a as a broadcaster, as a commentator who calls these matches live, which I hasten to add is is a lot harder and more challenging than simply sitting in a studio and, and gabbing about tennis. What what stats are of particular interest to you, and which stats are meaningless? Um, second serve points one is Me- always fall, huge. Right? Yeah. For for both for both parties, if you're doing well returning second serves or if you're putting pressure on, um, sometimes not in the stats, but like the Hawkeye, um, and this is depending on certain players where they're making contact. I love to look at that one. So what do you, you, you mean see, uh, on, on the racket or on the in the court? Uh, where they're where they're making contact with the ball. So Wozniacki sometimes in matches is like two or three feet behind the baseline in the beginning. And then you'll look like midway through a close second set, and now it's gone back to six or seven feet behind the baseline. And, you know, that gives her opponent more time. It gives her opponent more looks at the court. So I always like to look at that. Is Serena hitting balls inside the baseline? That sometimes is a great indicator if her knee's healthy and she's able to move and get down and if she's being really offensive. Um, and the other thing is that I look at is where player shots are landing. Are they landing deep in the court? Um, were they landing deep in the court at one point? Has it gotten shorter? Why has there been this shift if there has been where one player was dominating, now the other player is dominating? Um, those are normally the ones that I go to first. If I am talking to Hawkeye Pete or Hawkeye <laughs> anybody. Love those guys. It's a country music yeah, band. Those- those guys are great. Um, that's where I always ask for first, and then uh, then if those don't show me anything, then I have to kind of think outside my comfort zone. <laughs> Without uh, coaching on the changeovers. Okay, real quick. Um, <laughs> 2016 Australian Open, men's women's winner, men and women's winner. Yeah, I go I go Novak and Vika. Vika. Yeah, I know. I'm, no. I I can't believe it, and I you know there's no draw out yet, and. We haven't seen Serena play a match, so I do reserve the right next Tuesday night to change that John Wertheim. <laughs> really noted. Dude. I want to see Serena play a match, and I want to see her draw. 
based on what I've seen so far in 2016, I like Vika, but I haven't seen Serena yet. I saw her for a few games, and she didn't look great in Perth. That is Sports Illustrated contributor Victoria Azarenka. No, I mean, it, it, we forget. I mean, it's been a while since she's even been to the semis of a major, but this, this is someone who could retire tomorrow and has a pretty good case for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, she, Azarenka, was, so. she has not been healthy for years. She has not been able to play that same level that she played four years ago. Uh, if she stays healthy, I, I like her chances. Uh, I think that's a good pick. Um, all right, that's great. We, uh, you know, we, we got NFL football here. We got we got, we got fantasy, even though we're in the playoffs. So uh, we got to give up the studio. But uh, thanks as always. Always a pleasure. You, Seriously, I'll, I'll see you Friday night, right, on the plane. <laughs> I, I can't. I get so uh, whatever it is. I'll see you in April. I'm like these this plus nineteen for you, plus sixteen for me. I'll, I'll see you soon. <laughs> but uh, I, I've given up on what day is what. Okay. Um, yeah, seriously. Well, I'll see you on the plane. But uh, okay. thanks. That was great. All right. That was our friend, colleague, Lindsay Davenport, the 2000 Australian Open winner. I'm going to keep hammering that home. She is so modest. She hates to bring up the fact that she is a multiple Grand Slam champion, a Hall of Famer, but she did win this event. So she knows what she's talking about. Again, being good soldiers here, you can catch us on Tennis Channel throughout the tournament. Check your local listings. I know I'm going to be doing a morning show that will air at 6 p.m. nightly East Coast time. Again, keep your suggestions coming. One of you mentioned Mario Ancic. We did as told, and it turned out to be a great podcast. He was last week's guest. Other names that have come up randomly, Dick Enberg, Todd Martin, very interesting. Renee Richards. We will try to get to some of those. We'll try to have some guests from Australia. But that will do it for this week. Thanks for listening to everyone. Always a pleasure. Have a good week. Enjoy the first major of the year next week.